Immediately they left their nets and followed him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Pop quiz. Who said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Was it A, John the Baptist, B, Jesus, or C, both? I mean, if you didn't know, a skilled quiz taker will know. You should always choose C in a situation like that. And, and you'd be right. I find it kind of fascinating that on our reading from Matthew 4 today, Jesus is said to commence with his ministry with the same tagline, verse 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same banner phrase that John the forerunner used, which we read about um, uh, a little while ago in, in chapter 3 of Matthew's gospel. As a remark back in Advent, repent doesn't exactly seem like the most marketable phrase. Who would be trying to gather some students and followers saying, you're doing it all wrong, you're making poor choices, you're not living in sync with the way God has set up the world, stop it, turn around, and go the opposite direction. And yet, both John and Jesus take this posture and this message as a headline to their ministries. As I mentioned last week, the gospel readings for these three weeks after the Epiphany are, I think, wonderfully intertwined with one another. On the Sunday after the Epiphany, we got Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus. Today, we get Matthew's account of the calling of the first disciples. But last week, we got the fourth gospel's narration of both the baptism of Jesus and his calling of Jesus' first followers. And so I, I think what we're getting in this Epiphany season is a is a mutual reinforcement of two aspects about the gospel. First, the, the revelation and manifestation of the reality of who Jesus is. And second, the response we and others can have to this reality. Revelation and response. And we get the revelation about the reality of who Jesus is um, at his baptism in, in two ways by two witnesses. John the forerunner as one witness, and also God the Father himself. So you recall, John says, and this is my translation, John says, this is the guy. This is the one I said was going to come after me to surpass me. This is God's chosen one. And then at the baptism, God himself validates Jesus when he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So both John the forerunner and God the Father convey and, and corroborate the reality about who Jesus Christ is. And furthermore, John gives us a bit more of a, a specific um, indication of Christ's vocation about the reality of what Jesus entails when he says, not only is this God's son, God's chosen one, he's also the Lamb of God, the Savior, the one who takes away the sin of the world. These three gospel readings reveal uh, the reality of Jesus, and second, they reinforce the response that we and others can have to this reality. And this response is modeled by the first disciples we read about today, and last week as well. Uh, this response is immediate abandonment of their previous way of living and a turn to follow Jesus. This response to Jesus involves both a turning away and a, a turn towards, a turn away from self and a turn toward God. Repentance and obedience, repentance and following Jesus, repentance and, as our colleague has it, answering readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so continue to think about our collect. I think it's, I think it's always instructive when you, when you have a collect to kind of figure out what these prayers are asking for. What's the ask? What's the request? 
almost all colics have some kind of a petition, uh, some kind of a give us this or grant us that or provide for us in this way. What's the request in our colic today? Well, it's a request for grace. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this, I think, fits well with, we might say, is a, a two-sided nature of repentance, the repentance that Christ is calling for. And that's core to John the Forerunner's messages as well. The repentance is something of a two-edged sword. It's the call to obey God's law, and it's the power to do so. It's both, here is the law, obey it, and it's also, incline my heart to keep your law. Repentance is both the call and the grace to answer. And grace here not being the license to do whatever we want, but the power to do what God wants. Our request for grace in this collect is a request that God give us the supernatural empowerment, the supernatural ability to respond to the call that the revelation of Jesus Christ raises for us. Now, when does this occur? Well, um, it was news this week, that, uh, from what I understand, that the faculty of the University of Illinois in Chicago were on strike. And sometimes uh, on picket lines, you, you hear chants like, uh, what do we want? Fair pay. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Job security. When do we want it? Now. It's like I can almost imagine John and Jesus chanting, what do we want? Repentance. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Obedience. When do we want it? Now. And well, they got it. At least Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the son of Zebedee, they gave it to Jesus here. Jesus wanted repentance and obedience, and these first disciples gave it to him now, as Matthew describes. Immediately, they left their nets and followed Jesus. So I think this, then, is sort of the, the, the posture. It's a model of the posture that our collect is asking for grace for us to take, to readily answer the call of Christ. I don't often say the word readily, I don't ever say the word readily, but, but here it is. Speedily, immediately, the moment we get an opportunity, I need the grace to answer the call that the reality of Jesus demands of me. But just what is this call? I think our tendency, my, certainly my tendency, is to see that line in the call about answering the call about Jesus Christ, call, call of Christ, and put it in some kind of super grand, like once in a lifetime, pray the sinner's prayer sort of terms. But I think that's only part of the story. It is part of the story. I think, of course, we all need to answer a foundational question about who we think Jesus is, what we think the reality of Jesus Christ is. This past week, Wednesday, was the Feast of the Confession of St. Peter. It's one of these rare um, feasts in the church calendar where we commemorate not a saint, but a moment. Uh, this feast commemorates the scene in Matthew 16 um, when Jesus asked his disciples, his students, who, who people say that he is, and who do you say that he is? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. Well, this is the confession of Peter that we celebrate, and this is a foundational reality about Jesus that's been revealed to us. And I think we're all eventually faced with this question that Jesus asked of his followers, who do you say that I am? We're all faced with that question, and we need grace, divine empowerment, to answer this question, as Peter did. But I think the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, isn't just a once-in-a-lifetime sort of thing. Rather, I think it's an everyday, maybe even an every-moment sort of thing. Every moment is a time when we're faced with this question. My son and I like to watch some soccer. We're fans of English Premier League, and 
Thankfully, the announcers are often British too, so we can kind of like really saturate ourselves with Anglophile experience. But it raises some interesting British phrases sometimes, uh, British manners of speaking, which I find very endearing. Uh, I recall hearing one broadcast announcer say something like, the offense, the offense is probing, they're testing, they're asking questions. <laughs> and I thought, they're asking questions? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? At no point did I see a forward go to a defender and say, do you think you can guard me? Or are you going to stop me from scoring? Well, it's not so grand as that. It's more that with, with every dribble, with every pass, with every move, the offense is looking for that break in the defense, asking questions about whether the defenders will stop them. I think writers who have good editors know what this is like as well. A, a good editor doesn't just ask a grand question of like, does this piece of writing work? But a good editor is gonna go through line by line, sentence by sentence, asking questions of the prose, of the paragraph structure, of the syntax. Is this the best way to say this? Does this support your argument? How does this contribute to your goals for this piece of writing? And so perhaps similar to our situation with respect to the call of Jesus, it's, it's not only a once in a lifetime question, although it is that, but rather we're daily and hourly being asked questions about how we're going to live. What decisions are we going to make? How are we going to respond to what life lays before us? And yet I sort of wonder if these questions that life is constantly asking us, if we might not actually reduce that to this foundational question that Jesus asked Simon Peter. And I don't mean reduce like make, you know, less significant, but more like when you reduce or simplify a fraction, you, know, you realize that 8 sixteenths can just be one half or 64th uh, is just three eighths. Got a little bit of math going on in my house. Perhaps all these questions that life asks of us can be reduced to who do you say that Jesus is? So when someone cuts you off on the road or when your boss is getting on your case or when your parents don't just understand or when your roommate won't pick up their dirty laundry, are these questions constantly being asked of us coming back to that foundational question of who do you say Jesus is? And then what are we going to do about it? What's the reality and what's our response? Are we going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Are we going to repent and ask for grace to incline our hearts to keep the law? Are we going to respond out of repentance and obedience, a turn from ourselves and a turn toward Christ? And can we do so immediately, like the first disciples responded when they were confronted with the reality of Christ? And if we can, if we can answer each moment's question with Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is the Lamb of God, and respond with repentance and obedience, then our collect indicates that this actually leads towards an evangelistic end. That, that is, our answering the call leads to, as the collect puts it, the proclamation of the good news to all people in order that both we and the whole world may perceive the glory of Christ's marvelous works. Proclamation here, not just being standing on the street corner, but through our words and our deeds, we reveal the reality of Jesus Christ. And we proclaim the good news explicitly and verbally, or implicitly and tangibly, materially and immaterially. This is the result that comes downstream from our embrace of the reality of the revelation of Jesus Christ and our response to repent and obey in all those questions asked of us.
from John the Forerunner's perspective, Jesus is the guy. He's, he's the chosen one, the one who would surpass John, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even God the Father validates Jesus by calling him his beloved son. But these are the realities that we meditate on in this season, the realities about Christ that then put demands on us, that ask us questions, call for us to respond. They call for us to respond to the major questions, like will you repent and who do you say Jesus is? And they call for us to respond in all the many instances of life when these questions are raised of us that can perhaps ultimately be reduced to this fundamental question about who Christ is for us. And so we constantly ask for grace. Not grace to avoid following Christ, but grace to be divinely empowered to readily, speedily, even immediately to answer this call. And as we do so, as we answer the call to follow Jesus, repenting of our sins and obeying him, then we too can proclaim to the whole world the good news of his salvation. Let's pray our colic once more. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.